This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. My name is Carl Valeri, and I have a special co-host with me today. But before I get to that, I'm going to have a couple of announcements to make. Number one, uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses is where you can find the scholarships guide, career coaching, and also the pilot jobs book. We have monthly membership, which includes a pilot jobs book, advanced holding guide patterns, and the practical guide to winter flying, along with other various webinars. One update we do have this month is the Scholarships Guide. The August 29th, 2018 edition is live. We have five updated scholarships within that edition. For those of you that uh, have signed up for the Scholarships Guide, make sure you go out there and download that new uh, guide there. The guide is actually in a PDF format, so as we update it, we place it out there on the website. When you sign up for the Scholarships Guide, it's a whole year. Currently, the price is $10 for a whole year for the scholarships guide. You can win scholarships for many different things, even if you're not thinking of doing this as a career or you're thinking of doing this as a part-time career or you're just a hobbyist, you know, and you want to get some flying done and, I don't know, do some aerobatic training. There's some of that in there. There's also... Uh, scholarships to get your uh, glider training and, and tailwheel endorsement and all sorts of stuff out there. So don't discount anything that's out there. Another important point I want to make, and I've been hearing this a lot, is they'll, people will look at the scholarships guide and see that there's, say, a Women in Aviation Scholarship or uh, OBAP, Organization of Black Airline Pilot Scholarship, and they'll discount that and move forward. Remember, if you are a person that's a member of that organization or you attend one of their events or there, there's different criteria, you don't necessarily have to be a female or a black pilot uh, or whatever. I mean, it, you can actually apply for those scholarships. You have to read the fine line. Women in Aviation, great example. A lot of their scholarships are given out to men. All you need to do is be a member of that organization. In International Aerobatics Society, everybody, they have scholarships, and some you do have to be a member, some you don't. Some are specific for certain genders, race, etc., but uh, don't be fooled by the names. Take a look at everything is what I'm trying to say. That's the point I'm trying to make. You will definitely get much more out of this guide than you've paid for that $10 into the guide. It's uh, Just keep looking. Uh, I'm sure you'll find something out there. Just keep keep perusing through that. I know it's a huge scholarships guide, but uh, take a look at it. Um, anyway, in this episode, we have with us Justin Ash. Justin Ash is actually an active general aviation pilot. He's also an airline flight instructor and the simulator, and he flies the uh, Embraer 190. Justin, welcome back to the podcast, and thanks for taking the time to answer questions. Absolutely, Carl. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I look forward to uh, getting to the questions and uh, hopefully uh, being of, uh, you know, helping answer everything and be of some assistance. <laughs> well, I'm sure you will be because these are some are pointed directly to you, actually. But one of the things that I found is having more and more people on this show with different perspectives really helps. And Justin will add quite a bit. Like I said, he's very active in aviation. He likes to teach. He's You've heard him before on the show doing a lot of uh, informational podcasts and 
especially on the financial side, and he does that too. He's a certified financial planner, uh, but does like to teach and loves to fly, and it's really cool. Just recently moved his family to be closer to the simulator, which is awesome, so he can uh, drive to work every day. So we really appreciate Justin being on here, and he hopefully will be a guest and a co-host uh, more often and help us answer these questions. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to read your questions, and don't forget, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com if you have any questions right into us. Also, if you have a question for one of our co-hosts, send us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. We will forward that email to Justin, to anybody who's been on this show previously. We send it over to them. They can read it. They can respond to you directly, or they may come on here and actually respond, just like Justin is doing here. Anyway, so let's get started with question number one. It's uh, actually directed at Justin. It, it goes, I just listened to your most recent podcast, episode 174 with Justin Ash. This episode resonated with some of my thoughts recently as I think outside the box and refining and planning my next steps. May I run an idea by you that clicked in mind recently? Perhaps Mr. Ash can help with answering, too. I'm intrigued by the idea of being an airline flight instructor. What is the prospect of becoming an airline flight instructor if I become a flight attendant, then pursue flight instructing at a local flight school as a second job and supplemental income? I knew it, uh, it, it's a unique approach, but allow me to briefly explain. My household is experiencing a bit of a financial crisis right now, and it's taking far much longer to progress in a pilot career than I ever intended. I have a commercial pilot certificate, airplane single-engine land, and airplane multi-engine land with an instrument rating. I also obtained an advanced ground instructor certificate after failing my first attempt of CFI in 2007. I'm eager to reattempt CFI and begin teaching, but have struggled to save up the funds to go at it again. I'm seeing the time tick by as it seems I remain stagnant and pressing against a wall as I only have 430 hours of total time under my belt at age 36. I can barely afford to maintain currency. There's no opportunity for progression in my current position. So, thinking outside the box, I know that I would thoroughly enjoy a career as a flight attendant interacting with customers. I received a greater perception through your program regarding the schedule of an airline flight and cabin crew. I also know that I would thoroughly enjoy mentoring and building up other pilots as a flight instructor. I have a bright future ahead, yet I feel that I am pressing against a solid wall as I face difficult financial circumstances and not enough flight time to land a pilot job. God bless. Well, you know, I really appreciate that. And uh, it it really is interesting that one of the things that we have in our careers is all these different avenues that we can you know, run down and, and actually, you know, change direction in. And one of them is becoming like a flight attendant. Like you said, it's a, it's a great career path. We've had flight attendants on before. So make sure you listen to those episodes. You know, this is aviation careers podcast. We enjoy all different uh, aviation careers. Like I said, unfortunately, most of it's been focused because of all the questions on the airline flying jobs, but we love to hear from those flight attendants and from all the people, all the mechanics, etc. I think it's an interesting perspective, and as far as uh, jobs, as as far as flight instructors, I'm going to actually let Justin talk a little bit towards that. Uh, he actually works for an airline as a flight instructor, but he also uh, gets to interact with some other folks at other airlines and hear from them. So, Justin, you know, I know we're not going to mention airlines and who we work for, but at, say the one you work for, do you see a demand for flight instructors? 
Yeah, I see a huge demand. I think that the flight instructor community as a whole is seeing a large demand uh, at the primary level all the way up through the airline level. And, you know, we're seeing our pilots go straight to flying so quickly now with the demand for the pilots that our instructors, you know, are spending more, uh, I should say, as much time in that role. So, I think the demand for experienced instructors, people who want to teach, absolutely. I think there's a large demand for that. One of the things I've noticed is the fact that in teaching, it seems that there's a lot of folks that they try to get into the flight. And you've talked about this, I think, before. The flight instructing realm at the airline are first officers. And if you have any inclination towards becoming an instructor, I think it's a good idea to really bring that forth in your interview with the airline. Would you agree with that, Ashton? Yeah, Ashton, I would sure. agree. Okay. Um, yeah, I w- sorry. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, bringing that up, they want to see that experience, you know, and most airlines, in my experience with the interviews and things of that nature and various people I've talked to in all their interviews, it's all about experience, diversity. You know, they want to know that you want to be a part of aviation and teaching is a part of that. Um, it also tells them that you may be willing to do other things within the organization rather than just being a line pilot. Because along with line pilots, we need people who develop tools for line pilots, you know, curriculum development, teaching, uh, whatever it may be. There's a lot of different roles that our line pilots fill. It's not just flying the line. One of the things I'm gonna, I know I'm going to get as a question after this is, well, do I really need to be a flight instructor to be an instructor at an airline? Um, <laughs> it's No, you don't. Um, I just love because I get that question a lot. And uh, no, you don't. It does help, though, if you have that teaching background. It also lets you, if you've taught before, you know, teaching is something that I think a lot of people are capable of doing. However, the people who are truly passionate about it, um, it's a little bit different. And it allows you to figure out if that is a passion for you or if you want to do something else. I know people that really enjoy teaching. They enjoy the one-on-one experience. And then I know people that prefer the actual nuts and bolts of, uh, you know, flight standards, developing curriculum, developing SOPs, uh, getting into the nuts and bolts of the FARs and the AIM and the systems of the aircraft. So it really just, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do. One of the things I think people don't realize is all those things that are behind the scenes. There are a lot of instructors out there that it seems to me, and you can uh, speak more towards this, spend more of their time in manuals and preparing actual curriculum than they do actually teaching. It's just just from people that I talk to in passing. Uh, Justin, you know, I'm sure you probably run into some of those people. Yeah, every day. Um, there's a lot of people. I mean, we have a, uh, airlines have whole departments that do nothing but curriculum development. And those people don't teach. They just write courseware that the instructors then teach. Um, you have instructors that do both. They develop courseware, and then they also teach that courseware. So uh, there's people all the way across the board. I mean, now with AQP, you have AQP data people that uh, they'll actually pull in a couple of pilots, and these pilots, they take the data 
that is collected from doing AQP and all the training that goes with that. And they break down the data to see if there's any gaps in our training program or any gaps in how we can do things better or where there's a shortfall to the students. So, I mean, anything from that all the way through developing courseware and teaching. Absolutely. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes. It's, I I learn every day that there's even more pieces than I'm even aware of. So, so with that said, I guess some of the things that you must get involved with, and that's something that I, I could see maybe it turns some people off, is you also get involved with much of the office politics like a regular job, and then uh, you must put forth some information that uh, on a course or something, and you might have a different viewpoint, and you know maybe the manager in your flight department has the opposite viewpoint and that at times i guess could be frustrating that can be true in any job but uh, i think you get a little more challenges there and that you're there all day and you kind of see the po- the politics or i should say or or the day-to-day operations more so than somebody is actually flying the line right yeah justin yeah i would say that it can be um i'll be honest with you it varies i think you can also meter it you know, and how much exposure you really want to that. We have a lot of instructors that that really is where their passion is. That's what they want to do. They don't want to be involved in the office. They don't want to be in front of a computer all day. And so they choose to, you know, pretty much just stick to the instructing side of things. And they, you know, they're allowed to do that. You know, that's their job. And then there's other people that get in and they teach for a little while and they, man, that'd be really cool to see the AQP stuff or to do some flight standard stuff. And they, they delve more into the actual office work, but we have instructors that that is what they do. They come in, they teach their lesson, they interact with the students and they go home and they can, for the most part, remove themselves from a lot of the office politics. And that's a great point to make because of the fact that we can vary what we do as far as getting involved in, like you said, the office politics. By the way, line pilots can do the same. I mean, we have a, a chief pilot's office, and there's assistant chief pilots there. There's people that do certain projects within the chief pilot's office. So no matter if you're an instructor or you're a line pilot, if you decide you want to get involved in management, et cetera, yeah, that, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a different play, you know, way to go down. So that's, that's something that is really important to make that point. No matter what you do, that's going to happen. But now, as far as flying the line, you're going to hear this a lot. You've heard me say it. You're not involved in the day-to-day operations. You may never see your boss when you're flying the line. As an instructor, that doesn't happen. You're actually in an office building. Uh, you don't see them as much because you might be in a simulator. You might be in a classroom. So you become a little more autonomous uh, as an instructor. It's just like teaching at a university, etc. But yes, you'll see the other people within the office. Whereas with me, if I have a four-day trip and I don't like the person I'm flying with, I know it's over in four days and I'm on to another captain or another flight crew. So <laughs> that's one of the bonuses to, to fly in the line. That would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it always does. I don't care who you are. And I get along with just about everybody. But every so often there are people that you would, you know, rather not fly with and uh, people that you would rather fly with. So, <laughs> you know, you put those as priorities. Hey, that's true of instructors, too. I mean, it gets around who's the best instructor. That's for sure. You know, I, everybody knows that Justin is really tough, right? No, I'm just kidding, Justin. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm the mean one. You want to avoid. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's a great question, though, as far as instructing. And, and I love the idea of you going down the path of the possibility of being uh, a flight attendant, of course, if you have any customer 
customer service knowledge. Being a flight attendant is a great thing. The other bonus to becoming a flight attendant is you're kind of plugged into that airline. Uh, and it actually, uh, in comparison to what you're doing now, we didn't mention your current career, but in comparison, you'll definitely make some more money. But one caveat, remember, airlines, the first year pay is not good, period, no matter what you're doing. So you're, you got to get through your first year. Then in your second year, whether it's pilot, flight attendant, mechanic, et cetera, second year it starts to get a lot better. And as you get more seniority, here's something that happens. You don't want to leave. Uh, that probably won't happen in your case, but we have many people have gone from being a flight attendant to a pilot, and it's absolutely awesome to listen to their stories. As a matter of fact, I should try to get some more people on the show. We've had a few on the show, and they've talked about it, and it's it's absolutely cool. It's, it's just neat to see people moving forward in their careers and uh, and making that switch into something they really enjoy. And, and and don't get me wrong, the flight attendant thing is is a really good job. I mean, if you are there five years, no matter what airline you're with, you're probably going to be there for fifty. <laughs> just you know, it, it, once it gets in your blood, you can't get it out. I mean, it's just that cool. I mean, being able to not only interact with people and go to cool locations, you also can fly around the world for free, and that's that's a really neat thing. Well, anyway. Thanks for the question from the listener, and uh, remember, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com if you have any other further comments and questions on that one. Anyway, let's move on to the next uh, comment. It says, hi, Carl. Just wanted to thank you for the podcast. They've helped me a lot to understand how the aviation industry works here. I'm a Brazilian pilot with 900 hours commercial IFR and CFI there, currently living here in the U.S. for a long term, and I'm in the process of transferring all my licenses to the FAA. The FAA private pilot license was really easy to get, along with the endorsement from the flight school. Just wish that for my IFI commercial and CFI, I didn't have to go through all the check rides again, but it's understandable why the FAA makes us do that due to the differences in regulation. Thanks a lot and safe flights. Well, you know, I appreciate your feedback there, and I love to hear from people that are transferring up here. Obviously, we do have somebody from uh, down in Brazil who's uh, been wanting to do a lot more co-hosting on the show and has been helping us, but they've been quite busy. Works uh, in flight operations and flight standards for his airline down in Brazil, so he's been quite busy. They're making some shifts in, in some of the airlines and uh, the airplanes, and that's been kind of a challenge for him, and, and that happens. I mean, at any airline that decides to bring on a new type of aircraft or anything like that, or any new type of training, you get really, really busy with the, the new, uh, you know, standards, the new, you know, courseware, the AQP and, and stuff like that. As a matter of fact, and I'd like Justin to actually comment on this, because this is interesting. One of the things that we're starting to go through at the airlines is uh, this extended envelope training that we have to do. And uh, all that is coming to fruition. I think you, Justin, you mes- mentioned this on the last show and you had done so much recurrent uh, just give us an idea when when they're implementing this new thing called extended envelope training, which, by the way, maybe you could define that and just tell us like kind of what that process is all like. Yeah, no problem. So the extended envelope training uh, is EET, and uh, that's what EET is, is extended envelope training. And that piggybacks off of it's actually advisory circular 120 and that comes off of the UPRT, um, or Upset Prevention and Recovery Training. And so all of that stuff is tied together. Really, EET, what it does is it's flying, it's getting back to, I don't want to say the basics, but some of the basics. You know, we're getting back to teaching slow flight, getting on the backside of the power curve, reverse region of command, whichever, you know, um, way you want to put it. But 
getting back into slow flight stalls, you know, taking the stalls all the way to a full aerodynamic stall, recovering from more aggressive type attitudes, flying with, you know, ET even comes uh, flying without autopilot, auto throttles, flight director, things like that nature comes into the EET realm as well. It's not just about extended envelope. It's about doing it, performing in the extended envelope with reduced automation. So uh, the EET stuff is big. It stems a lot from what we've seen in trends in the industry over the last decade with some accidents, incidents, things we've had. So it's really robust. It's good. I think it's really good stuff, but it's it's kind of a new take. You know, uh, it used to be you'd fly cat to approach to minimums, go around single engine ILS. It was all IFR, and now I kind of when I've uh, when I talk to guys, I'm like, be ready for some VFR work because a lot of it is VFR with EET, which we're not really used to in our training and our recurrent. Interesting, though, on the VFR stuff. Remember when you do your commercial license, it's basically a VFR check ride. We're kind of getting back to that again. I think that's really cool. I'm one of those people that turns the flight director off and auto thrust off and all that stuff when I'm out there flying on the line. As a matter of fact, I usually have to tell the people because obviously I fly an Airbus, so most people don't like that stuff being off. Um, it was interesting. I just flew with somebody who was a flight instructor on the F-15, and he said he just he loves to turn that stuff off, and, and he just kind of did that a lot and we were maneuvering around uh it was a lot of fun to watch and it was a lot of fun to be able to do that without somebody jumping up and getting all all scared etc because uh i shouldn't know not sure if i should say the word scared but a lot of guys won't turn that stuff off and i get it i i think the other part of that story is they just they're afraid of uh, violations etc and i know i love the autopilot it keeps me safer it gives me much better situational awareness and it keeps me out of trouble i set an altitude i'm less likely to bust an altitude and that type of thing but when i'm maneuvering visually or if i'm maneuvering and i have you know i'm clear for a visual approach i know my deck is 1800 feet i can't go below that till i get on the glide slope i it's you know it's everything off and i get to fly this on the other hand is a little different the eet we're doing some really wild stuff and i think it's pretty cool uh from what i could see and what i know about it i let you know because i actually have to go through this type of training in September, uh, and that'll be quite interesting. And uh, and I'll let you know after this after I go through it on the podcast what it's like. If I lose my job, I'll let you know about that too. Obviously, it didn't come out successfully, would it? <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We don't want that to happen. No, no, definitely not. Uh, let's see that. And thanks for the. Uh, that feedback there. I really appreciate that. Let's see. Moving on to the next question here. Uh, comes in from someone who says, Okay, thanks you for producing such an informative podcast. I've only been listening for a week, but I've made it through about 15 episodes and have thoroughly enjoyed all of them. I've decided to return to flying after an 11-year hiatus and pursue a career in the regionals slash majors. I'm trying to decide between ATP and one of the two community colleges that I'm going to in my state that offer an associate's in aviation science. To complicate matters, I was approached by a family friend and offered a share in a Cessna 182. It's high-performance, complex, and IFR rated. It's a third share for about 15000 The other two owners would be him and his son, who is a friend, who is also planning on pursuing a career in aviation and is currently getting his private pilot license. Uh, he's already, he already has his private pilot. My questions are as follows. Do you think... It's worth the buy-in price versus renting from the flight school. 
That's the first question. Second, would getting most of my hours in a complex, high-performance airplane have any significant benefits? And the next question, are flight schools amenable to you providing your own airplane for training? I listened to the episode about leaseback programs, but I don't think that would be applicable because it would be a partnership and not outright ownership. Also, it's an old airplane. So I'm going to kind of go backwards here. Flight schools being amenable to providing your own airplane. It all depends. And you had mentioned an aviation science degree. So let me speak towards that in the, in the collegiate environment that I'm familiar with. Uh, most college environments, you have to usually use their airplane. And the reason being is that 141 program is usually approved through the FAA with those airplanes and you're not part of that 141 and that airplane would have to be placed into it. So that would be a no along those routes. Uh, but within those schools, uh, they do have a part 61 option in many of them where you can actually go ahead and fly on the side. Ours doesn't do that at Bulk State, but uh, there are many of them out there that you can provide the airplane, they'll provide the instruction. I will say one thing, instructors love it. I used to like it because uh, just hop in, everything's all ready to go. We know the airplane's usually in much better condition because people always take care of the airplanes they own better than the ones that they rent. And, uh, and I absolutely loved it. Also, the other cool thing for the instructor is that usually you can charge a little more for an owner aircraft. So that's that's a really nice little option. Um, so yes, you can provide your own airplane. Uh, as far as getting the most of my hours in a complex, high-performance airplane having significant benefits, the, the one big benefit is to you as a pilot. It gets you used to flying the complex and high-performance airplane. As far as your career, of course, if there's two people and I'm looking at them on paper and you have more complex and high-performance time than somebody else, that might be a benefit. Also, if there's a minimum of either high performance or complex that you need for the specific job that you're looking at, that's also a benefit there. Is it a big benefit in the whole scheme of things, looking at the entire industry? I'd say probably not huge, but it will put you a little bit ahead of that, that's for sure, ahead of other people. And as far as um, worth buying in, and versus renting from a flight school. I personally love the fact that you're thinking of owning your own airplane. You wind up actually learning so much more when you're an owner. My world changed when I looked at an airplane from an owner standpoint than I did from the standpoint of a renter. There's, there's something within you that changes when all of a sudden you have to write a third, uh, a check for a third of the repair to that propeller that just got dinged. Uh, you wind up really understanding why the people at the flight school are saying, hey, you know, make sure you taxi around with full back stick, that kind of thing. And and also you become more cognizant of how things work and what what is involved in the actual having that, owning that airplane and the expenses there. One of the things that you have to do at some point or might have to do at some point, depending on your situation, is you may have to sell your share in that airplane. I was one of the people that I had a, a share in a 182. I wound up having to sell my share because I moved on to a new airline. And as you know, in the airline world, the, the income goes way down when you start over. So I said, like, okay, I'm, my expenses are gone up and my income has gone down, so I need to sell that share. Something to look into uh, when you're actually purchasing a share, how hard is it to get out of it? Normally, it is easier to get out of a, a share of an aircraft than the whole aircraft if you're in, a, in an environment where there's a lot of general aviation going on. But if you're somewhere where there's not much general aviation going on, then it might be a little, a little bit tougher. But that's been through my experience. So 
Justin, I, I, uh, I know I've answered all three of those questions, but I was wondering, you know, if you had any feedback to this individual as far as uh, the possibility of, of buying in and, and renting and those different questions. Yeah, I think, no, I think everything you said was really good. Uh, you know, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of benefits to owning the aircraft. Not only do I feel like everything you touched on, it helps in the flight side of things, you know, why you apply the back stick, the importance of these different things, because you're kind of signing up for some of that cost. Uh, but also just the maintenance of the aircraft, you'll learn things that you may or may not use, but it gives you more not, you know, uh, what are STCs on the aircraft? Um, and think what are ADs, airworthiness directives, and things of that nature that have to be done and kind of gets you more involved just in the business as a whole that as a student, you're not really going to see because you sign up to go fly that airplane and you assume that all the airworthiness directives and maintenance and 100-hour and annual and all these different things are, are completed. Whereas the owner, you're looking at all that stuff uh, from your side. The... As far as training goes, the other benefit to that is if you're deciding if you're going to go part 91 and not use a, a um, I'm sorry, part 61 and not use a university or a 141 program, you're going to have some extra hour requirements, uh, cross-country requirements for your instrument, commercial things of that nature. And owning the aircraft will allow you to fly around and kind of enjoy Aviation. Um, I really liked that. I had a portion of an airplane when I did some of my training, and it gave me an opportunity to just kind of enjoy my licenses and fly around a little bit and just build some time for those licenses because I did everything part 61. Uh, when you get into a 141 program, they're great programs, um, you know, like what they have at Polk State and stuff like that, Polk, Polk Community. It's, but it's, it's all about the training all the time. You know, you come in, you train, you study, you do those things. So it gives you a little bit more wiggle room. So I like I like that. I mean, that, that was a great point, because one of the things you don't realize when you're just in that training environment is the fact that we sometimes ha are so mission driven, we forget to have fun. I mean, it's so important to have fun with this, because this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And you really have to enjoy it. And one of the things that this brings to you is the fact that you actually have the freedom to go out and enjoy an afternoon in Key West. I mean, not too many flight schools are going to let you say, say, hey, take the airplane for three days. We don't care, because <laughs> they have a whole bunch of lessons to go through. I was just over at the school today, and man, they're going one lesson after another after another. Uh, there is no kind of dilly-dallying around. The other thing that I think, to me personally, one of the most exciting things that ever happened when I got an airplane, is going to sound so silly, I know it, is when I flew to an airport and I got out of the airplane, I didn't worry about when the plane was coming back or had to get back. I had I had the freedom to decide what time I leave to go back to my original airport or if I even go back. I could stay a night. I could stay another day. That is the coolest thing is it opens up this incredible world to you. And it's just this, such a sense of freedom. And what will happen is what, with you and like what happened to me is you'll wind up staying in general aviation for the rest of your career. You know, sometimes you have to drop out. There's Like for me, I had to drop out for a little while. Couldn't really afford it because I was working on my career moving forward. Now I'm getting back into it again. But it's so neat to have that freedom. And uh, and also, you'll get some experiences. And another thing, to Justin's point, 
you're going to do some flights that you would never do in the curriculum. You're going to do flights to places and destinations that you never thought of flying to when you're in that flight school. Things where they won't allow you to go. Say it's to the Bahamas. Some schools won't let you go into another country, Canada, et cetera, whatever it may be. It's just so exciting to be able to do that and to have that opportunity. So that's that's what's awesome about having a share and owning your own airplane. As a matter of fact, I just had a... Uh, a client, a coaching client who's done the same thing and purchased into an airplane, uh, a share. I'm a big fan of shares and airplanes because, like I said, it's easy to get rid of. It's also, uh, and I love owning. It's it's such a different world. It makes you appreciate the operation better. Even when you get to the airlines, you understand all the costs that are involved. Anyway, gosh, I hope, I hope that's helped you with your decision. And don't forget, if you have any other questions, comments, go feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Justin, I think we're up against our time as far as, uh, you know, what, uh, actually tell you what, Justin, we'll do one more question if you don't mind. Uh, here's one that came in. It says, hi, I do appreciate all your efforts, time and advice you provide for those who love to become a pilot. I'll be 32 in two months and have a bachelor's degree in business. Becoming a pilot has been tempting. Do you think I am too old to go to aviation school. My goal is to becoming an airline pilot one day. Any recommendations for schools in Toronto or Vancouver area? Best regards. As far as the last question, AOPA has a good uh, guide out there for flight schools. Uh, and the uh, there's a uh, chapter up there in Canada. I can't remember. The International Airline Pilots Association, or, um, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Real good organization. There's lots of directories. I don't know any specific ones. I've seen them before, but I don't go to Toronto anymore. I used to go up there all the time. Uh, so, you know, if you need help with research, try to search them out, aopa.org. Are you too old to go into aviation? You're 32 years old. Boy, I tell you what, no, you're definitely not too old. There's people that are being hired right now, all different ages. As a matter of fact, Justin can kind of point to this. Since he's actually in the training department at an airline, I'm assuming, Justin, that you're seeing people of I'm many various ages. I, I, you can speak towards that. Yeah, we see people across the board. Most classes will actually vary in age from generally the youngest person in the class is in their late 20s and the the oldest person in the class is usually in their early 50s. And it falls all the way in between. The average hiring age at the majors, I believe, is still right around 35, 36 years old. So 32 is not bad. I mean, you don't want to, you know, probably if you have the ability to expedite the training and get it done a little quicker, um, you know, that would be good. But 32, I would agree with you 100%, Carl. I don't think that's too old at all. Yeah, and you're seeing also, uh, Justin is, and I am, a lot of people that are doing a second career. You know, they've had, they're even in their 40s and 50s getting into this. The difference is they've had a career and they have some money put away, like in retirement. Kind of like what I did. I was uh, in my 30s and I had money put away in retirement, that type of thing, and then decided to move to a different pivot to another career. Uh, so it wasn't that tough for me to do that, make that change. Uh, but that's, uh, I think in your case, you're kind of like, okay, this is going to be the, the way I'm going. I've been stagnant where I am. Our last podcast was awesome as far as, you know, taking that leap of faith and jumping in. I, I think it's really cool. But no, 30s, gosh, 32 especially. Think about this. In five years, you'll be 37 years old. And there's a lot of people getting hired with the majors at 37. Five years uh, from now, 
used to be a short amount of time to get to a major. Now it's not. It's becoming normal. So yeah, you have a you have a good life ahead as far as flying is concerned. Uh, just do it, you know, responsibly, and good luck with the hunt on the flight schools. That's for sure. I really appreciate the questions. Anyway, Justin, that's it for today as far as the questions. Uh, I hope you'll come back and help us with some more. There's some great feedback you gave us. And uh, if people have questions, I'll forward them on to you. So thanks again, Justin. Absolutely, Carl. Thank you for having me. Um, I look forward to more questions. I enjoy um, answering them and making sure that everybody, you know, providing as much insight as I can. So, yeah, I look forward to coming back. I'll definitely be back soon. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. And thanks to you. You're listening right now and you're driving or whatever. You're doing your workout and you're trying to get some inspiration as to moving forward in your career, whether it's in flying or being a flight attendant, mechanic, etc. Just remember this. It's very important to not just sit here and listen to this. One thing I want you to do is I want you to take one step today to move forward in your career. After you stop listening to this, I want you to actually either, if you're listening now, look on your iPhone at some of the things we talked about. Click on the links within the show notes here. Make a call to a friend, a family member, and ask them. Call a flight school. If you're looking for a school, call around. Do something now. Do something today to move forward in your career. Well, folks, I'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.